Are you a diehard Cavs fan looking for new content to consume? Or even a fan of another NBA team looking for new perspectives on how opposing fan bases view your team? Well, I'm Ben Farrell, and on my new podcast, Cavaliers Critique, we do our best to analyze each and every Cavs game, not only from a Cavs fan's point of view, but from an opposing fan base's perspective as well. So go ahead and give Cavaliers Critique a listen, now live on Spotify. Welcome back to our final episode of Halftime Heroes, where we're uncovering more about the Ohio University Marching 110, how it came to be, as many know it, the most exciting band in the land. One of the things that countless people told me makes the band so unique is its deep relationship with tradition over time, keeping hundreds of students and alumni connected through a shared experience. This episode, we'll hear more about what has stayed the same throughout the band's 50 plus years as the 110, and how some things change and evolve with time. One of our alumni was the um, director of the Wyoming's band, um, and he had talked to us about just how how different it was, you know, being the director there, coming from here. Um, and he he kind of said it best: what makes us really special is kind of our legacy and our like rich history that we have behind us. Um, I'm sure you've seen us all wearing our band jackets across campus. That's a huge symbol of like the kind of history and the legacy of the many 110s that have come before us. Um, the power, the intensity, and the standard that we hold ourselves to has always remained the same. These people care, and that's what makes it different about, I mean, I don't know about other college bands. I'm sure people care, but when I was in high school, a lot of people just did it to do it. Like, people didn't genuinely care and want to be there, um, and I think that's what makes us different. You know, everybody has passion for it, everybody, and part of that is, you know, the relationships that you create. You want to be there because you love the people that you're doing it with. So I think the culture that we've really created within our organization makes us stand out. You may have caught Bailey mentioning band jackets while she was talking. And if you're an OU student, present or former, you're almost certain to recognize them. Band members their freshman year can purchase a band jacket, a Hunter Green varsity jacket complete with a white Ohio University marching band patch on the front breast, and Ohio written in large white block letters across the back. No matter the weather, no matter the season, you can hardly walk a block on campus without spotting at least one member wearing their varsity jacket. It's become a source of pride in the band, a unifying symbol among its members, past and present. It's a pride thing. It's a pride within, but it's also, again, the, it's a pride thing that I, I'm proud to wear the band jacket because I am recognized by a student that's not in the band or that's just an average, you know, Ohio University student. They, they recognize what the band contributes to the Ohio University culture, whether it's at football games, athletics, or just the general Ohio University vibe. You know, what they contribute to that is, is special. McKenna wore her jacket when we met for our interview and explained to me that members also collect pins for various accomplishments, showing me the ones she had on her own. Everyone gets a pin that I have on the Ohio patch where it's just a round pin with a star on it and uh, you put it on your hometown. Other pins, I have this one that's a hat pin. I got this for the first uh, uniform like inspection I ever passed of, like I think it was like the first game or something like that where I had my hair done correctly and my uniform was like, done right I had all my things and I guess they passed this out sometime after mm -hmm. I have a 
orange pin with the Diamond Ohio on it, um, and that was for a performance that we recorded and gave to the Browns that they played in their 2021 season. I still have two pins. Uh, the one is from the MAC uh, championship game that we went to, and so we have a pin for that, and then we also have an Arizona Bowl pin. I didn't get to go because I was just a sophomore, and they didn't they offered it to the older members first, but I still got the pin for it. One of the last pins McKenna showed me was a green and red ribbon that said Coach. The pin commemorates the passing of Gene Threkill, the visionary for the band who transformed the 110 in the 60s, who passed in November of 2021. The 110 did a memorial show for Threkill during the 2022 season, inviting his family and honoring his legacy. Receiving the band jackets is not the only rite of passage the freshman experience. As Aaron Romero put it, it used to be tradition to, quote, season the jackets, during their brand new look. Back then, the big thing was, is we're all one band. You're not a freshman. You're not a senior. And, you know, which is true. So out on the field, you're a freshman, you're a senior. No, we're the 110. So, yes, so our, our jackets had to be seasoned. Really? Yes. Uh, so mine... Uh, my band jacket cleaned uh, Paul Romanco's uh, 1966 Mustang engine bay and Stu, Stu Kemper's trombone slide. And then the other thing would be is to just kind of um, just drag it in the dirt a little bit. But that's how my band jacket got seasoned. Did and you ever wash it afterwards? Never. Like, really? Never, never been cleaned. My two favorite days always were... Um, the days that we initiated the band jackets, um, I always thought that was a really fun way of welcoming the the freshmen to say, like, yeah, now you are a part of this bigger movement, too. And it's not just the people that you've spent your four years with. It's this huge group of alums who also have these jackets. You know, now you are a part of, of this organization, too. Um, what did you guys do for that? We marched on our jackets. Really? Yes. <laughs> um, so the idea when I was a member was that you got the jackets dirty um, so that, you know, you have your, your freshman with a bright white jacket <laughs> um, and they are clearly going to stand out against, you know, a senior whose jacket has been around for a while and mm-hmm. might be aging and yellowing and all of that. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, the idea was you you got them dirty deliberately, and then you had to spend a lot of time cleaning off the dirt so that it was just like the right amount of dirt <laughs> on the jacket. Romero and Olhorn both described the sensation of earning your place in the band as a freshman years ago, a classic sort of organizational test where the newbie freshman had to earn their way as a member of the band. You, you were reminded that you were a freshman, regardless of the, your effort and competency. Just, you know, all, all freshmen are idiots, and, and to some degree, that's that's a true statement. Both Olhorn and Romero told me tales of stuffing as many freshmen as possible into the bathroom of a travel bus, and having freshmen do silly things like hunt for rocks on the practice field. But one other tradition has an intimidating intensity. Remember the tradition of merging the blocks of old men and new freshmen that we mentioned last episode? It used to be conducted with a bit more of an intimidation factor than the present method. We finally met on the drill field. 
face to face. They were on one end of the football field, we were on the other, and we just stood there at attention and stared each other down. Each group, the old men and the rookie class, do the attention command. The rookies first. Gives the, the old man a chance to see exactly what kind of new recruits we have. We yelled something besides one, two, three. It got them going. It ticked them off. Did you hear that? Now it's the old men's turn. And they do the command the best of their ability. And it's perfect. And I know the rookie class was standing there thinking, man, these guys are something else. Everybody was thinking, oh no, I've heard they're going to kill us, they're going to elbow us, we're going to not be able to walk for the rest of the day. And everybody's sitting there yelling at each other and don't move and stand still and be proud, chins up. It was great. My last year, I was like, Joining the freshman, I drop him over to the, to the old man. He used to be like face to face. He'd be like elbows in the air, like knocking people around. But times change. And as you can imagine, not everything that was acceptable decades ago is approved today. While members then didn't always view things negatively, nowadays the 110 is able to maintain some of the fun and quirky traditions that unite its members without some of the harsher aspects. But the way they do it now, which is really cool, it's like the old men come over and they go within the freshmen and they bring them all back together, which is pretty cool. Because like when I was there, it was like we tried to intimidate the freshmen to death. I mean, we wanted in the band, but we wanted to kind of terrorize them a little bit. So it's different now. It's more, it's more inclusive. I'm not a fan of hazing. I think hazing is wrong. But it was one of those, you know, there, there were times where it was like, yeah, this is a little, this is old. And then others, I could see it as, let's see, let's see who has a sense of humor. I think that that's how I try to interpret it, is, is who's got a sense of humor about it. So that's the thing, is if you didn't take it too seriously. But the band did end up facing a hazing investigation in the fall of 2019, amidst a series of other investigations into campus organizations, which caused it to operate under a cease and desist order. The university received six complaints of alleged misconduct by band members, some of which included underage drinking and marijuana usage, collective pornography viewing, recurring use of nicknames like old men, stupid freshmen, and zeros, participating in muddy slip and slides in their band varsity jackets, and some others. Many band members and supporters critiqued the investigation, stating there was no actual evidence of hazing. Ultimately, the university released a statement at the end of the investigation, saying the band was in need of, quote, cultural changes though it did also note that many of the band's above-board traditions were not problematic. I was a freshman when that happened, uh, so that was a really difficult time to go through that. You know, I had just met all these people, I'd just become really good friends with them, and then we were suspended and we were told that we couldn't hang out with anybody inside band. And at that point, um, that, those are my only friends. So uh, that was really difficult to be told that like I couldn't hang out with my friends, uh, especially as a freshman member. We had to be questioned individually and, and as a group at times. Um, at the end of it, I, I've honestly tried to block a lot of it out, but being in this position that I am this year, 
Um, I've kind of had to reflect on that, and it's my responsibility to make sure that nothing like that ever happens again, really. You know, we are definitely, we found out through all of this, held to a higher standard than most other college organizations, and I understand why. You know, we're probably the largest organization on campus, and I think it's good to have these, you know, no matter how difficult it was, to have these times, um, you know, however often happens, and it might be difficult, it does help us reflect on traditions and if, if they are truly beneficial or are they gonna hurt our organization over the long run. Um, so it, it is good to have tradition, especially in a band where we have um, such rich history like we do, um, but it's also good to like kind of evaluate and some of those things need to be filtered out over yeah. time and I'm sure every, every college organization should, does and should uh, yeah. do that kind of thing. And many of those harmless and fun traditions that the band shares do still exist. The marching blocks still merge where the senior members take the freshmen under their wings and accept them as part of something larger. One favorite activity that several people I spoke to love was the tradition of marching into the Hawking River, or as the band now does it, marching into Stroud's Run. This is a, this is a really fun one. We always, the band always goes out to uh, the Stroud's Run Park by the what is it, a lake mm -hmm. that they have over there? Yeah. And we'll just have like a day where we relax and spend time together, all 200 of us out on that little <laughs> beach. And we all line up and the drum line, like they don't have their drums or anything, but they like kind of sing it in a sort of way, like, like counting us off and we will march into the lake. <laughs> and then we will and you know like the dances we do during our parades we will stand in the lake and do our dances and we're all like singing and screaming <laughs> That's awesome. but you're trying to swim and also trying not to drown at the same time the article in ohio today that i first saw they talked about the the tradition of marching into the river and i was like that's hilarious yes <laughs> sign me up um, and my dad's like, who, do you know what's in that river? Not the Hawking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do that. <laughs> yes, yes, I do, actually. And um, at the time, our practice field was right along the bike path on the river. It's where um, Tailgate Park is now. And so we'd just all line up, and we would sing the fight song and march into the river, and inevitably you would lose your shoes or, <laughs> like, would you be like in uniform? No. Okay, no, no, I was no, no, going to no, no, no. say that no, seems you're, like you're in your <laughs> yeah. in your practice. Yeah, okay. Um which at the time we we did not have practice uniforms, so it was kind of whatever you wanted to wear to practice. <laughs> and on river day, you knew in advance like don't wear <laughs> anything that you don't want either to lose in the river or to get disgusting um, with the hacking river silt. Another band favorite is the reunion of members, past and present, at the annual homecoming parade and halftime show. As an onlooker, I've always been shocked by the sheer number of alumni returning, forming an endless sea of green in their varsity jackets in various states of wear, marching with all the intensity and vigor of the current college band members, no matter their age. Ohorn says the band members refer to it sometimes as Christmas, comparing it to a holiday when family members all reunite and see each other every year. And impressively, alumni from all over and all different years of the band gather together to learn and perform a show that very same day back there and I'll tell you what I, I work out like four days a week but I go back to homecoming I do the parade the halftime we learn a show like in 30 minutes it's pretty incredible then we do post game and I'm like completely wrecked for like the next four days afterwards Ohorn says he only dusts off his band jacket once a year for the exciting homecoming performance however I was honored when he wore it as we spoke and with its smudges tears and frays 
I could tell it was well-loved and bore the memories of his time in the band and at Ohio. According to band members now, the band no longer initiates or seasons the jackets like they did before. After the 2019 investigation, it was tradition that stopped. However, the jackets are still a point of pride and unity of such a large and respected organization, and it's inspiring to see generations and generations of 110 members wearing the same green and white at homecoming. And of course, there are other smaller traditions and quirks that band members still participate in. One of them, Olhorn actually started himself when he came back to an OU basketball game on his birthday after he graduated and decided to try to play with the band. He wore the varsity band game outfit and approached director Young, asking to let him dance with the band on his birthday. Young told Olhorn it was up to the band and told him to talk to the field commander, who wasn't very receptive. And he was in my squad my last year. So I'm like, Matt, I went on his edge here. And he's like, you Horn, get the fuck out of here. No way. But Olhorn made a deal. And he's like, well, what would you give me for it? I'm like, what do you want? He's like, I want your gig bag, which is a soft-sided leather trumpet case bag. I'm like, oh. But I wasn't really playing anymore. So I'm like, okay, I'll give it to you. But here's the thing. When you graduate, you have to give it to a first part triple player who can play with balls. And every couple of years, whenever the person graduates, they had to pass it down. And I had to meet that person at homecoming. He's like, okay. So I danced here and that gig bag has been passed down. Jesus Christ, almost 30 years now. And on the inside pocket of that leather trumpet bag, there's an index card. On it are written the names of all the temporary owners of the bag, the players selected for their skill and dedication. And every year, Olhorn meets the players at homecoming. Right now, Bailey, the field commander we've heard from throughout the series, has Olhorn's bag. A trombone player can also get named with the Dropkick Award, named for a player who once broke his horn, as sometimes happens when they snap their horns up, and threw it down and kicked it. McKenna told me of singing Silver Bells before performances, and Aaron Romero described his favorite practice, one where people were able to wear whatever goofy clothing and costumes they wanted. O'Horn told me of relentlessly teasing rivals from the bleachers, and even one halftime show when band members got into a fight with Miami football players who came between the 110 and the alumni band. One very freshman experience Jessica described made us laugh. Oh my gosh. Um, so as a freshman, I was in the same squad of four people with our field commander which was terrifying yeah. <laughs> um and i for some reason had a mental block on turning to the right so i was not an ambi turner um, <laughs> so in, in order to turn right you actually turn like 270 degrees and when you've got a trombone that's really heavy yeah. um you have to lift it up into the air to do that and i had knocked several people in the head um at one point like right before our marching audition I had collided with like some upperclassmen and had given myself a fat lip at one point like there was a guy in our squad who was really tall and he would be right in front of me and so I was forever terrified of knocking off of off his hat <laughs> because if you knock off a hat uh, or if someone loses their hat in a performance um, the whole band on the following Monday usually has to either 
uh, run laps or like march extra. And at one point he, um, we were far apart and trombone slides have a lock on them so that they don't go flying off. Mm-hmm. And I had forgotten to lock my slide and we were putting our horns down and then putting our horns back up. And I put the horn back up and it go, the slide went flying and hit him. And he was like, how did you oh do that? We are so far apart. How the heck did she manage to hit me with her freaking slide? But all that hard work and nervousness makes possible the unique style and bravado of the band. So that, that type of contemporary connection to our students is a is a big part and, and of course you get the, the aspect of dancing and that's kind of fun too and people like that but but you know it's it's all that is is a special thing and and you know we appreciate the student body appreciating it you know and, and we don't take it for granted because we know that that's not that's not it's not guaranteed and you have to continue that connection what for me what originally set it apart was that it was an actual different marching style as opposed to core, make a weird shape, make another weird shape. That It just didn't do it for me. Right. You know, having people actually look, actually people looking like they're genuinely enjoying what they're doing. To me, that's that was the aha or wow factor is there's people that you can actually see they're enjoying what they're doing and they're actually, you know, even though we're a unit, you could still see a little bit of individual personalities and mannerisms, the way they groove and things like that. And it were in the 110 being that a collective, but also being a collective where you could express your individuality and just in, not overdo it and go, yay, look at me, look at me. But you could still actually groove a little bit and be a performer as opposed to more of a robot. Ultimately, though there are so many aspects of the bands that members cherish, they all ultimately have one common love, performing for the crowd. I can still remember like the excitement of the crowd of um, of like some of the music that we would play or some of the dance moves that we would do. I remember when we finished our show and everyone was just screaming and cheering and yelling. And I was, ex- I was so happy in that moment. You feel so drained, but then when you get out there on that field and you just put your, give it your all, put your heart into it. And then when, when you're over, ev- when it's over, everyone's, everyone's cheering for you. Everyone's clapping, screaming, yelling, everything. And it's very satisfying to know that all that hard work that you put forth that just paid off. And that was really my favorite part. Um, I, I loved just that feeling of being under the lights and feeling you know, that we as a group had done something really special. And I still think there's nothing that really compares with that moment and the interaction that you have with the crowd. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty special. This episode concludes our three-part series about the Ohio University Marching One Time. I hope you've enjoyed getting to know more about this unique college band. However, I can only describe so much. 
And so for more 110 content, check out our podcast page on Instagram at Halftime Heroes Podcast for more. And of course, you can catch the 110 performing pregame, halftime, and postgame shows this coming fall during its 100th anniversary season. Thanks for tuning in. Do you know what Appalachia is? I didn't either until I got to college, and it seems like I'm learning more every day. I love hearing from experts, professors, writers, creatives, and more who look at the region in hopes of better understanding it. If you want to learn more, check out Understanding Appalachian on all your favorite podcasting platforms. While I certainly don't know everything, we can learn more together through interesting conversations with interesting people from the Appalachian region.